Welcome to Quad Life. I'm your host, Brian Bell. On today's show, part two of my interview with Ed Bell. Hey, let's get over to something that different here. Uh, I know you're a jack of all trades and uh, we have worked together in the past. You think the knowledge you've that you have and others like you have is being passed on to the next generation enough? Uh, only if the next generation wants to hear it. It's the same old story. It's finding the people that that actually want to listen and uh, and learn that stuff, and the other people that that have really no interest in doing it at all. We've seen I've seen so many people come through our doors. The trade is the the wheelchair industry or the medical home medical equipment industry has just been it's notorious for being all mom and pop operations and uh it doesn't pay particularly well in most cases and i've, I've said it for years you know you, if you don't pay people enough you're never going to get them dedicated to what they're doing they're always going to be looking for something that will give them a little bit more and they they offer they offer nothing there's no there's no training course there's no uh you know this is how much this is how much you're going to make to start in six months from now we'll move you up to this in a year from now and you could potentially move up there's none of that doesn't exist so they hire guys and they're really good guys as soon as they find a better job move on the yeah. real the real dumbasses you know i've all you know i hate to say it but i've always been a little curious about a guy who's in his mid-50s who's got absolutely nothing and he's taken a job as a mechanics job at a wheelchair shop for 15 dollars an hour it's like by that time in your life you should be more established you should be able to get more than that should be able to command more than that yes but again what there's no desire because you're not being offered any kind of uh an apprenticeship where you can sort of grow and get you know maybe your benefits can improve as you as you improve and but nobody's going to stick around anymore and like you said no the younger ones don't really want to hear it now because they don't have to sort of listen. Yeah, it can, you know, and you can imagine too, it can be a pretty challenging things to do. We deal with in our industry, in that industry, we deal with a lot of uh, different things. Uh, you know, people don't always think about that, but we're dealing with people's wheelchairs and there's body fluids and all kinds of things that get left on wheelchairs. And uh, you know, I've, I've taken the cushion off of an occasional chair and, you know, had to go and kind of hold my stomach a little bit from the, the odor that came off of that chair. I remember Joe. Joanne Yip, I think she wrote an article. It was something like, is that your cushion or just something disgusting that you're sitting on? Oh, my. So, well, there has been big change in the Canadian medical equipment world as we see big companies buying up all these mom-and-pop shops. 
Yep. That used to be a staple in the industry. Should do you think we should be allowing this to happen or is there anything we can do about it? I don't know if there's much you can do about it. I mean, I think like with advanced advanced in a sense when when you go right back to the beginning was a mom and pop shop that kind of had a passion because of its owner for rehab equipment uh, he he had a personal reason to want to have a, a nice light, very functional wheelchair. He was all, you know, when everybody else was in E and J's, Dave went out and went to Europe looking for a Kushal and came back with one of the first Kushals, which didn't seem like much at the time. It was a very revolutionary chair compared to what everybody else was using. And it it kind of rocked the boat in Vancouver because it used to be that there was one company in town that supplied everybody with wheelchairs. You didn't have a choice, man. You were in the hospital. I just They just opened the door and they pushed a wheelchair and it came from Scottsdale. <laughs> and it was an NJ and it was all the same. And you know, well, who is Scott's dad? Well, Scott's dad is Scott's dad. Scott was some yeah. guy yeah. In, in North Vancouver that his dad started selling wheelchairs and got this government contract and was supplying all the wheelchairs. So, and and he had no reason to go out looking for new, better designs because what he was getting was. It was the only thing out there was selling. So, how do you see buying up these small shops playing out for the clients in the long run? Clients are going to have to find a good shop to deal with. Like I, I don't at this point in time with what's happening with NSM. Um, I know that a lot of my clients are moving away. They, they're not liking what the, the way they're being dealt with by NSM. And they, you know, they hung on right until I, I left, basically. And I tried to, you know, I tried to get somebody, a young guy named Tristan, to help take over for me. Um, and he's he's trying really hard, but he he's also hitting a bit of a roadblock because, again, service isn't as quite as good as it should be. And is there any they, options? Hmm? Is there any options? Like, if you don't like. Because if all the eventually all the companies are bought back up, then it's right back to the guy pushing the wheelchair. That's and right. And saying, "Here, jump in this. This is yours." Well, it's interesting. Uh, what I see with MSN right now is that they bought all these independent shops up, but they haven't really brought all of them together. They all seem to still be working as independent outlets so the thing that the problem that i'm seeing with what used to be our old shop is that with me gone and there seems to be a lack of interest in the existing staff at this present time to really uh, keep the uh, the business of high-end manual wheelchairs going wow. and so just about everybody that I know of is making a move. They're following Eric over to McDonald's Supply, 
and and then again, McDonald's supply is a little bit going back to a shop that's more like advanced mobility, where it's it's not owned by a big company. It's not multiple branches. It's just one outlet. The unfortunate thing about you is that, yeah, one outlet, you're going to have to deal with them. If you got to deal with uh, Kelowna, um, I don't know. I might think of giving Andrea Callan a call. She's she works with Creative. I've known Andrea for years, and she seems she's on the ball as far as chairs and stuff like that are concerned. But all the Kelowna staff it all got all laid off, so I don't know anybody up there. I got, I think, I got the rock star Shannon Rockall. Oh, you got Shannon, yeah. See, but see, Shannon's your therapist. And so, and Shannon's a good therapist because Shannon will seek out the vendors that can get her the stuff that she needs. Yeah. Not everybody, not all the therapists are like that. A lot of the therapists will just either make you do the work, like find the vendor and, and get the stuff done, or they pick a vendor and then you're kind of stuck uh, being treated however the vendor wants to treat yeah. you. Shannon basically doesn't really let that happen she just if things don't go well she just steps in and either reams on the vendor until she gets something done or gets things sorted out do you think the government should uh get involved with distribution and access of medical equipment like because it doesn't always get swallowed up by corporate by big corporations well, you know, if you if you break down to where the equipment, you know, it'd be different if um, all of these all of these companies. For starters, we know that the there's a big difference between the retail outlets, which what we're talking about, the MSN and and the motion specialties and these kinds of companies. These are retail outlets. You get back down to where the manufacturers are at, and the manufacturers. Um, I think they want to keep it as an open market. My biggest problem with the government taking over is government's so money orientated. Nobody's going to have you, you lose your option to get a really high end wheelchair. I mean, right now, if you're on the ministry, you'll get an okay wheelchair. But if the government gets a, right across the board, that's the same wheelchair you're going to get if you're covered by WCB or ICBC. And I don't. I hate to be an asshole, but there's a, there is a difference between somebody who who goes out and does something stupid and injures himself, and he's got no insurance and no cover, and a guy that gets hurt on the job, or the guy that gets into a car accident, um, the guy that goes out and something to do does something stupid and hurts himself. And he doesn't even have a job with extended health care. Well, then, yeah, he falls back on the government and he still gets taken care of, Brian. He still gets, you know, they'll still buy him. An average para will get a new $3,500 wheelchair every five years. And somebody's going to say that's not really fair, but it's not, to me, it doesn't seem that bad. No, I, I, uh, I feel like what I receive from WorkSafe is not in some ways so different than what 
people who are on the ministry get. So I, I feel like people always think like I won the lottery because I've got work safe. I know that maybe that helps me and in, in the, I know it helps me in a lot of ways, but I don't always feel like I've, I get the Royal treatment or anything. I don't know if you notice any difference or that big of a difference. Uh, work, work safe. Um, top of the pyramid really um for the care level and that really it's it's got more uh, to do with the fact that they're doing much more follow-up with you than the ministry would do with you um you're getting follow-up e even without asking somebody eventually is going to phone you and find out how you're doing and and if uh, and more than likely send someone around you do get that do you not on a regular I basis? I do. I get somebody who, well, the essentially WorkSafe will intervene if they feel that I'm not being cared for properly, whereas I don't think the ministry even cares or knows. They just say, here you go, you're on your own, here's your pajamas and your bedroll, and, you know, you're well, in 38. Well, with, with the ministry, it's always been you want something from the ministry, you got to be a squeaky wheel. Yeah, I know, I do know that. I, I know that because of uh, Corey Parsons is a great guy for being a squeaky wheel and getting the things that he he wants. And yep. kudos to him for... Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I think they count on the fact that everybody's too tired and can't be bothered to fight so once they hear no they just stop well yeah that's you know if you're any insurance company knows if you reject every application for insurance if even five percent of them don't squawk about it you're five percent ahead yeah so i um, mean you're people on works, I'll tell you the one difference I do know with WorkSafe is um, they they do tend to treat people with a visible disability uh, a little bit better than people with the invisible disability. So I don't think they, they don't question people if a guy's in a wheelchair, um, but if the guy walks in and just says he has a sore back, there seems to be a lot more skepticism for oh. those. Yeah, I, I've heard that so many from so many times from so many people like who have legitimate back issues and yeah. they basically just blow them off. Yeah, it's, it's because it's not a visible thing where, where our injuries are so visible, how do you, you literally can't blow that off. They would look so bad blowing that off. You can imagine if they started blowing off every guy in a wheelchair saying things like, well, we don't think you really should be in a wheelchair. <laughs> If, you know, my God, it was just, too, but unfortunately they do that with, with guys with back injuries and shoulder injuries and stuff like that. You know, they, they kind of, they kind of make them feel like they're, they, they doubt them. Oh, we don't really think you're as bad off as you say you are. Well, they say no what, the first time and hope that you won't bother them anymore after that. <laughs> that's what they're hoping for brian absolutely are you uh i guess sort of sad to see advanced mobility disappear oh, yeah. 
yeah. Yeah, I am. I, some, somebody might see this and somebody at MSN might say, well, it's still the same advanced mobility, but I, I don't really see it being the same advanced mobility um, as before. Um, me, Kathy, Dave, the people that, uh, Eric, you know, Eric Hagman put in many, many years working for the company. Yeah. He's, he jumped over with uh, Anthony Purcell. Anthony was with us for a while. We've jumped over to McDonald's and I talked to him uh, just today, as a matter of fact. And, uh, you know, we both agree that it's, you know, it's kind of sad what's happened to advanced mobility. We all work so fucking hard to, to kind of put advanced at the forefront of being, you know, a, a really good rehab company. We had, we had a decent reputation about how we treated our clientele and stuff like that. And if things keep going the way they are, these guys, these guys are just tearing that, that whole reputation apart. That hurts. Yeah. That's, uh, we worked really hard for that over, over a long, long period of time. And that company, boy, that company didn't make a dime for years. We all put our money in and we did not see any kind of profit or nothing out of it for many, many years. So, You had, you had something that you were doing because you loved it and that's that's a rare well thing i i enjoyed it um i enjoyed it enough that i invested some money into it in the end everything turned out you know really well for me i, I i'd be the last person to complain we, we managed to sell the company we managed to get our money out we managed to have all this do happen before covid because if it COVID had come along before any of this happened, I don't think any of it would have happened. That would have put a complete dampener on everything. I had an opportunity to uh, talk with Kathy about it. And, you know, she was really honest to say that um, she wasn't sure that her and Dave would have been able to maintain advanced mobility during COVID having to do you know, how much it cost to, to keep the company up and running. The company that bought us fortunately had deeper pockets and were more able to weather the storm. Yeah. Do you stay in touch with Kathy? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, her, her heart must have been broken too, I guess. Well, she's still working there. Oh, she she's is? Still, oh. Yeah, she still puts in three days a week there. And I, I had it. It's funny, I had a, a chat with her the other day, and I, I says, Kathy, you can't save the company. You know, because I think there's times that she figures if she comes in and if she works hard enough, she can actually keep it exactly as what her and Dave made it to be. Yeah. And, and I really think she's she's got to let go of that. I know it's hard for but also... Um, Mike Abera, who worked for us for years as a service tech, was Dave's very best friend. They knew each other right from, I think they met when they were like eight or nine years old. Oh, wow. Went through elementary school, they went through high school together. Mike was a jockey and uh, was a very competitive jockey in his younger years, flew all over the all over North America racing horses. And he was the guy who got Dave into, into the horse, the whole thoroughbred thing, and was training Dave's, uh, training Dave's horse for him. Well, I went out and seen Mike the other day, because I hadn't seen him in a while. There's up Port Kells. And he said to, the same thing to me. He says, Kathy, uh, 
is it's hurting Kathy to see how the company is being picked apart. But I, you know, I look at it and think, you know, who cares now? I, I feel sorry for the, some of the people that are left that I know my friends that are still there that are left there. Um, I certainly don't have a lot of uh, degree of sympathy for the management. I don't know any of them. I don't know if when I go in there now, every one of those, there's a some manager in every one of those rooms. I have no idea who they are. And I've only been retired for three months. It's not like I've been gone for five years and rolling back in there again. Man, I, it, couldn't, man. I couldn't tell you their names. It's, it's all top heavy. <laughs> it seems at this point in time, it seems to be very top heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Rolling on to something new here. Uh, I know you went through a bad pressure sore and were off for quite a while. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, um, pressure sores. Boy, if I if I knew my skin was going to give me that much trouble, I would have been way, way more careful. Um, got a wound, struggled with a wound for years on and off. And then it finally, one year, just went nuts. It started channeling all down the back of my leg from my right IT. And they had to do a pretty major skin flap surgery, which uh, put me off, oh, like nine months, which um, I've talked to guys that nine months is, is nothing. I talked to guys that have been literally out of their chairs for years trying to heal up chronic wounds. Um, I even know a couple of guys where they, they basically, they just given up. They just try to maintain the wound and keep it from getting infected and, and go on with their lives. Dan, uh, yeah. Do you remember Dan Neff? Yes. No, Dan was, Dan was one of the guys, Dan lived across with, Dan uh, was across the hall from me when in rehab. He was, Sam Sullivan was in run, one room and Dan Neff was in the other. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I knew Dan. I knew Dan quite well, actually. A motorcycle enthusiast. So, of course, we liked each other. Yeah, well, I got to know Dan's brother through another friend of mine, Dave, who's a machinist and was, um, I, I guess, lived near or grew up with uh, Dan or Dan's brother. So I sort of... Again, another one of those circles where our our paths probably sort of almost touched. Almost his, yeah, I forget what his brother's name was now, but uh, well, nice Dan was one of those uh, one of those guys. He was uh, did know, He did everything he possibly could. He you know wheelchair race and uh, he refused to go he put into a home and he lived on his own and uh he was he was a real character he really was he had uh god he had like six or seven absolutely beautiful motorcycles that he couldn't ride but he kept them insured and kept them running and his friends would go over and ride them for him and come back and tell them what they were like and he even built a special room in his house to display the motorcycles from his living room Hang on. Yeah, he was, uh, Dan Neff was a really interesting character. I really liked him. 
So as you're aging with an SCI, do you notice any big changes? Yeah. I'm really struggling. My transfers are getting just really, really bad. I'm just my shoulders, my arms, just general fatigue. I just I just had a nice chat and visit with Dr. Kazakov today. So we're gonna try something. He thinks I'm I'm having some problems on my right flank and he thinks I might be getting some neurogenic neuropathic pain. Okay. So they're gonna try gavel pentin. So I don't know much about gabapentin. I, it sounds to me, I remember when I was first introduced, give me a lot of diazepam, which is basically Valium. Yeah. And for some reason, gabapentin sounds a lot like Valium to me because they said, oh, you're, it'll make you kind of sleepy and dopey. And it does, uh, for, it does for a little while. You, does you it? For a phase, you kind of get sleepy, dopey, and you want to sleep in. And after a while, it kind of goes away. And it's great, too, because the pain, when you first start taking it, almost disappears. But then it slowly creeps back again. And then you realize that you're just going to start chasing the right. chasing the monkey. But I, I think... Uh, I think you're you're if you if you get some pain relief, kind of set a place where you're going to stop with it and don't take any more because it'll just it'll just get more and more that you want. Okay. I, yeah. I know I know you like to smoke, so you know I find smoking helps the most for me. I just that's been my my go-to pain relief a lot of the time. Oh, it's cert it certainly has been my go-to for as long as I've been injured. You know, it's just, I, but I'm one of those people I would, even if it didn't, I'd probably still smoke it because I, I enjoy the other effects. Yeah. But the, um, the, the spasticity, oh my God, I, it's just, I, if, I, my leg would be sticking straight out if I take a couple of puffs and just go, bloop, just fall right back down again. Oh, wow. But, but then, like like you said, with everything else, that the more you the more you use it for that, it's a diminishing effect. So as the years have gone by, um, the, the THC levels keep going up, but at every plateau, you get to a point where, ah, okay, it's not really doing anything anymore. It's like that with, I think, anything. Uh, it doesn't really matter what it is. Even if it's a bag of chips, it's hard to stop till you hit the end. <laughs> You're one of those too, are you? <laughs> so how's the, how's the mental game of aging with an FCI like? Oh, I still, I, I still can't figure out who the old fart in the mirror is. <laughs> I feel the same way. I, get, I look at, <laughs> I was looking at like, who the hell are you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh -oh. it, oh, you, you lost my visual, but that doesn't. Yeah, matter. my battery's my batteries chirping off here. It's getting low. I, I'm just going to roll over and plug you in. Here's a good one. Do you think pairs feel a need to keep up in ways that are detrimental to their health? And I say that as a quad, obviously. And I have been asking a few parents that I've interviewed 
that question a lot because I, I feel like it is quite a valid question. That's, that's a really valid question. Do you, um, do you struggle with uh, not being able to do things that you used to be able to do easily because of your quadriplegia? Absolutely. So um, being a para, you kind of have half of your regular capacity. So I think there's always that a little bit of you wanting to prove that you have more than you actually have sometimes. Uh, I've pushed myself way too hard in way too many ways over the years um, just to prove I could do it. And if I look back and think, and I, if, if I knew how it was going to affect me long term, I probably would have taken way better care of myself. But I think everybody says that. Yeah. There, and I know, like, I've done things to try to be less quad looking. And I still feel like sometimes I look in the mirror and try to not look like a quad. But I, you know, as we, as I age as a quadriplegic, I know my body sort of morphs a little bit. And I'm sure you've noticed that with quads when you've worked with them, like our our backs get really straight. We get thick necks and yeah. we, we start to look like funny. I call up, um, myself a sea monkey. <laughs> I look like a sea monkey. I've got the, uh, oh, 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 Are there any uh, things you do to maintain good health? Oh man, I'm not really that good. Nancy, thanks. We eat well, yeah. Right, like I think we eat well, like fairly balanced diet. Nancy's awesome about that, uh, keeping constantly their good food shopping and having good food available in the house. You know, good stuff to snack on and stuff like that. So uh, that um, I've always tried to stay really active, working and stuff like that. But I'm not a huge exerciser. I don't have a gym. I don't go every day for a half an hour a day and work out. Now, should I? Yeah, I probably should, especially now, because there's no doubt in my mind that over the last 10 years, and especially over the last five years, deterioration of muscle and my the inability to maintain the muscle that I had is basically... Uh, I just watched it kind of deteriorate. That's affected a lot of things for me. It's affected uh, my transfers because I don't have as much strength in my arms anymore. Uh, not being able to transfer much has some kind of other effects in the fact that you, little things, like I don't want to go out as often because I don't feel like getting out of, in and out of my car as often. I used to go out for the day and I didn't even think about how many times I'd have to get in and out of my car. Could be 10, could be 15. Now when I go out, I'm actually planning. I'm going to go here, I'm going to get out. Then I go do this and this and this. And then I, so I'm going to take, do my stuff that I still need to do, but get in and out of my car and do those kind of strenuous things the least amount possible. So that said, is there something you might tell your old self that you know now? Yeah, 
smarten up. <laughs> Just don't, I, I, don't I, do I, 20 transfers a day. Well, there's, there's a whole bunch of little things. Like I put one of those wheelchair lifter things in the back of my car. I probably should have had it in there five years ago. I probably shouldn't have been as stubborn and it's like, oh, I could still do it. And just gone, okay, just just put it in and admit the fact that this is getting harder and you need help doing it. So when you went to China, that must have been just... I didn't, go, no, my wife went to China. Oh, your wife went to China. I thought you went to China. No, my wife went to China. I opted out of that. I did, oh. we did, we did Europe. But you were... Didn't you do something with a bunch of wheelchairs that you sent? Oh, no, that was Central America. We went oh. to, uh, I did all of uh, the Southern Caribbean and uh, the North, uh, sorry, North uh, South America, Guyana, Venezuela, uh, we, Costa Rica, Honduras. Yes, I was involved with a, a uh, wheelchair project through the CETA Canada and the BC, sorry, not the BCPA, the Canadian Paraplegic Association. And they flipped the bill for you? Yep, it was a 50-50 deal from what I understand. The government and them, but they had a fund and that's what they decided to do. And they took, they took wheelchair basketball and they played they took wheelchair basketball players down and did sports camps for the kids. And actually, it was pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. So then I think what I'm thinking of is the jet bike that you and Dave and who else? You guys made a... Hansen. Yeah, that was a... That really started off as a Rick Hansen project. Oh, okay. So Rick got got a thing where or i don't know he wanted to uh make an accessible or sorry a an accessible in the fact of easy to get low cost hand cycle so he got georgie georgianoff from varna to build him a really really just make me a hand cycle that we can build for like 500 bucks and Georgie did, and he sent it over to Rick. And Rick didn't like it very much. It was it just didn't work very well. So then Rick asked John if he knew anybody who could maybe look at it and figure it, figure out what's wrong with it. So John asked me. I reworked the thing, and then we took it all the way, uh, all the way to the final. Uh, I made ten prototypes. And we and we had them all set up, and then we got involved with um, uh, Roger Yip, who had started the. He owned the company that was building Brody bikes, so he had bought the rights to Paul Brody's mountain bikes, and he was Paul Brody had helped this Roger Yip guy set up a shop in Taiwan to mass produce his bikes. So Roger Yip had been introduced to Rick Hansen and was willing to help us out get these bikes made. And then kind of at the last minute, Rick and the foundation just walked away from it. They said that it, they, they didn't feel that it was the right fit for them to be selling product 
they didn't think that Rick had the time or they, they weren't in a position to be funding a finance or a like a business type thing. It's not, you know, it's, it was designed to make a profit. So we asked if we could run with the bikes. We used our contact with Roger and we ordered one container full of the bikes. I think there was 88 bikes in that container. Didn't it sit in your front yard for a while? Oh my God, that's that's another story altogether. It, it's, it's, it's moved around. So I believe oh, we had to come up with, I can't remember how much money it was. It was 60 or $70,000. Nobody had the money, of course. But I can't remember. We I, we pre-sold a bunch, and then somebody threw in ten, and then I think we borrowed on a couple of credit cards. Anyway, we got the shipment here. We uh, had no place to put it when it got here. We uh, we downloaded it into somebody's double garage, but then their house was up for sale, and uh, it's just. It's so we're, I'm down to 10 now. I had well, you still have them. I still have 10 uh, in the boxes or in the garage next door, uh, which I've been paying uh, rental on my next door neighbor's garage. Of course, the 10th, the all the hand cycles took up the whole garage, but as the hand cycles is depleted, I've replaced them with my junk. So. Because I, I also have a growing motorcycle collection too. So there's, I think there's three motorcycles over there and then 10 hand cycles and a, a sidecar and a few other things. So Are you just going to buy his house eventually or your neighbor's, is that what you said, in your neighbor's garage? Well, if he keeps, you know, if things keep going the way it is, his garage will be in better shape than his house because his house is starting to fall apart. He never seems to do any. He was out complaining to me the other day about the the bears ripping up his garbage. I said, Brian, your fence, your rear fence blew down in the wind last year and you didn't do anything about it. The bears ripped your gate out and left it in your front yard. You didn't do anything about that. Now they have no gate and no fence. And, you, and now you're still complaining to me about them getting into your garbage in the backyard? I said, think about this. <laughs> Big picture. Yeah. If anybody wants to buy one of your hand cycles, how do they do that? A Prairie Velo. So I've been working with a guy in Manitoba. That's called Prairie Velo. So anybody out there can definitely, and like if they're in the prairies or even in the eastern uh, Ontario, if they're in the Vancouver area, they can just get a hold of me, or they can phone National Seating and Mobility, and it, again, just ask for the jet. Um, I've actually got uh, there's one sitting there, and uh, somebody if somebody's in Vancouver, they're more than welcome to go down and take a look at it and borrow it for a, a demo. Uh, we are working on some different versions. And then when the last of these Jeds is sold, um, we've got a, a new frame design coming out. Um, the gentleman at Prairie Velo has hooked up with a, a frame builder in Argentina, a bicycle frame builder in Argentina. Uh, location's not the best, but the guy builds some really nice frames, really nice stuff. So 
Um, yeah, so it's, it looks like Jed, as, thought, as much as I thought it was going to uh, eventually kind of crumble, uh, it, it looks like it's going to continue on. The guy, I've been on and off the phone with the guy over the last six months, and he's, he's really enthusiastic about it. He wants to, he's, he's got his little bicycle shop going, and he wants to get more and more into um, disabled sporting products. And then eventually, possibly start specking higher end manual wheelchairs because he said there's nobody in Manitoba that does that. Wow. He says one. He says there's one company in Winnipeg, and he said all these guys, all the sports guys in chairs that he knows, all complain that they can't get their a decent chair from this company. They don't sell any of the real good stuff that they see in the catalogs. So, holy crap. Yeah, I mean, living in Vancouver, we're pretty spoiled when it comes to that stuff. You know, you must realize, too, even being that yeah. far from Vancouver, how it affects you. Yeah, it was yeah. A, rude, a rude awakening. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get my parts when? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see here. Uh, what exactly did you need again? Well, didn't we already go through all this? Oh, yeah, you know, it's what's I'm really good. I'm telling you, like five people in a row, like, okay, what's your story? Okay, yeah, we, we just keep repeating the same thing over again. Yeah, it's a flat tire. Yeah. Please, I need a new tire. What don't you understand about a flat tire? Well, hey, you built me those, uh, those funky uh, tippers with the caster wheels on them. Yeah. Do you remember those? Yeah. Are those working? Yeah, they work great. Yeah, it's funny. I just I just told somebody else somebody else is complaining about the little little plastic wheels, you know. Oh, I hate those little plastic wheels on the end of my anti-tippers. And I said, just replace them with rollerblade wheels. Oh, you can do that? I said, sure, just yeah. you buy four rollerblade wheels and a, a big long bolt to put them on with and Bob's your uncle. Yeah. Yeah, I had another discussion with somebody too, and it always makes me laugh because people complain about the cost of uh, wheelchair bearings, and honestly, we charge ten bucks. I think it's twelve dollars a piece now for wheelchair bearings, which is kind of high and pricey. I always tell people, you know. You can go to a bearing shop and buy them from a bearing shop. <laughs> they're, they're the same bearings. They're not like special wheelchair bearings. Oh, really? Oh, I always thought I had to buy wheelchair bearings. No, you just you take the bearing out of your wheelchair and you take it to a bearing shop and you go, I want eight of these. And I said, trust me, you'll get eight for less than you pay for three from us. Oh, I know. I found that out. Remember, I, I, I didn't know that I could buy... Uh bearings like wheelchair bearings i thought they were they were different because of the the pins so i i would go to you all the time and oh, try yeah. to get bearings and everybody and everybody else so what's your uh, your belief or mantra for life mantra my mantra for life yeah do you have anything like you kind of i don't know Life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> no, I don't have anything like that. <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> oh, come on, you got to dig something out there. You got there's got to be something in the in the bell chest. Well, my mother, my mother's what was my mother's favorite was uh, well, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Well, there you go. There you go. Uh, is there any uh, any words of wisdom that you're going to leave me with tonight that we could share with the uh, listeners? Oh, words of wisdom, yeah, yeah. Don't let the don't let them beat you down. <laughs> don't let them tell you you can't do something. Yeah, that's the that's the yeah that's the worst thing. I hated that. But, I remember they, when they took my motorcycle license away from me and they, had it, they said, well, you can't drive a motorcycle anymore. And it was like, huh, really? On a bat? I can't. <laughs> Give me a while on this. I'll, I'll get back to you on this one. Well, thanks, buddy, for uh, spending some time with me and uh, sharing some stories. Yeah, no worries, man. Anytime. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. And if you ever want to just go for a little road trip. Come, come up and see me. I, I got a bed for you all the time. I'll come up and see you. All right. I've been making that promise for too long. I'm going to do it. I'm retired now. I know I'm you. Retired. Can, you got more time on my hands, buddy. You can sleep in the back of your pickup now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> It's like a coffin now, isn't it? The top opens up. And oh, yes, yes, it does. Yeah. The problem is you make up in the middle of the night, you sit up and you bonk your head on the yeah. sleeping train. Things like whack. All right. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll talk to you soon then. Okay, Brian. Take care, buddy. Thanks, Ted, for joining us on the program. If you missed it, make sure to tune in to part one of our interview. All past Quad Life episodes can be found on the Quad Life webpage at quadlifepodcast.square.site. While you're there, check out some of our Quad Life merch. For the month of December, we're waiving the shipping fees. Just enter Quad Xmas in all caps when making your order. Well, that's it for the show. Don't forget, just shit your pants and get back out there.